everyone, and welcome to Sample Size. The only news podcast that cares about science. I'm your host, Samantha Spears. And I'm your other host, Wildcard Cameron. So what's in the corona news this week, Sam? Okay, I'm not going to lie. I can't be the one who keeps doing this. After I introduce myself, you got to like give me something. It's so weird to roll off of my name into this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that was a perfect like segue. Into so. coronavirus news. This is a lie. This is a big deception. It is, is a is big not. deception. You know it's not coronavirus news. Yes. Today we are back talking about technology news. Yay. Wait, yay. No, I like technology news. Why am I so apathetic? <laughs> and we're going to actually be discussing something that has been suddenly very popular, and that is NFTs. Yay. <laughs> no, get excited. Yay. All right. First, we're going to discuss a news story, which... It first introduced me to NFTs, not only because this is how I heard about them, but because I think it perfectly encapsulates what I want to discuss this episode. Okay. What, what is it? <laughs> All right. Let's jump right into this story. On March 5th, Twitter CEO and co-founder Jack Dorsey tweeted a link to a site called Valuables, where his very first tweet was selling as an NFT or non-fungible token. And the NFT looks like a screenshot of his first tweet made on March 21st, 2006, which reads, just setting up my Twitter, and Twitter being T-W-T-T-R. In fact, here, Cameron, I'm just going to show you a picture of this, and then you can describe it for everyone, because I feel like you haven't actually seen this. So this is the NFT that is being sold right now. I wish you hadn't talked, because I was about to laugh so hard, and now I've lost that energy. Oh, no! This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. This is legitimately, I need, okay, there's like 17 layers of how stupid this is that I need to just, I, I don't know where to start. First of all, all right. I hate Jack Dorsey because he invented infinite scroll. The ability to <laughs> infinitely scroll was his idea. Was it really? And he literally, he's gone on all sorts of talk shows and news shows and talked about like, he feels bad. He feels like the lady who found out, who invented CRISPR and then spends every night having like nightmares of Hitler eugenicists coming for us all. Like he's that, but for technology news where he is like, I've caused infinite human suffering because of doom scrolling. Oh no. Yeah. Like he even acknowledges what a stupid thing he did. And it's like one of those things where like you stumble on it at the time. You're like, oh, this is great. And then it was bad. That was the start of his career. His whole, like he's a very successful tech billionaire, but almost everything he invented turns out to be bad. I was going to say, what does that have to do with this NFT? This is a tweet. Yes. Infinite scrolling helped make Twitter work. A tweet is stupid because it is <laughs> 140 characters, which is a product of text messaging at the time, but they never updated that. But then they, let's go focus on specifically what's stupid about this. We're, I think we want to explain NFTs later. So I'm going to put that part aside. Yeah. Right now. Okay. Just explain the image. What I'm seeing is an image of Jack Dorsey's tweet. You're literally buying the rights to this tweet. I don't like, is there a way to transfer ownership to like my account within Twitter that like I now control this tweet so I can delete it and be like, never have to look at it again because it's such a dumb tweet. As far as I know, the ownership is not really the actual tweet. It's like the image of it. Okay. You know what? We have to talk about what a non-fungible token yeah, yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Okay. Yes. Okay, Explain okay, okay, to everyone okay, okay, okay. what an NFT everyone, is. Everyone just let me get this unfiltered, non-directed rage out. Okay. A non-fungible token is a type of crypto asset. It's not a currency. Currencies are fungible, meaning like every Bitcoin is worth every other Bitcoin. So even if a Bitcoin is worth somehow over 
over $50,000 right now <laughs> because of dumb billionaires doing dumb things, then every other Bitcoin is worth that much. That, yeah. That's just how fungibility works. If I have a dollar US currency and I give it to you, you have a dollar US currency. And if I pick up another dollar, it's worth the same as that dollar I gave you. Like Exactly. That's exactly. how currency works. Exactly. Yeah. And then cryptocurrency is like that same idea, except instead of paper money, it's a digital token that represents whatever that money is. Yeah. Now, a non-fungible token is unique. You can have 100 millionth of a Bitcoin, a Satoshi of a Bitcoin, because they are fungible. That means one 100th millionth of a Bitcoin is whatever. But I can't have one 100 millionth of a dollar because in reality, a dollar is a physical piece of paper. Yes. So instead of thinking of it like money, think of it more like the deed to your house. It is a piece of paper or some sort of reference that says that this thing is owned by this person. But we live in the digital age where like things on the internet can be copy pasted super fast. So how do you prove you own something digital? That's what NFTs are trying to solve. They're trying to be a place where you can create this kind of asset that instead of it being like a dollar that you're trading back and forth, it's a piece of paper that represents your ownership of a digital and sometimes physical good. Yeah, I keep thinking about it kind of like a certificate of authenticity. Like I have some kind of record saying, ah, yes, this is mine and I own it. That's actually a really good example because it's not just that you own it, it's the history of ownership. Yeah. From the moment a piece of art is created till the moment it came into your possession, every single person who ever owned that piece of art has to be accounted for. And most of what goes into the cost of art, the art world, is just attesting to the authenticity of art. Yeah. And so this completely eliminates that. It's from the moment a digital asset is created, you will know who owns it until the time it gets to you. Assuming yeah. it hasn't somehow been magically like removed and then re-uploaded. <laughs> And you'll know who all the past owners are. Like it's on a ledger. So you know who is what. Yeah. And as part of this, there is like a bigger caveat around like how this works. Like is it a representation of what's called a hash which is like you take in a digital asset and you run it through some fancy crypto math and you get a very unique number out the back end. And that can be a representation of what this thing is. So if someone presents this thing again and it has this exact value associated with it, when you hash it, you get the same number. You'll know it's whoever on the blockchain has this value owns it. That all sounds way too advanced for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't want to go there. I just need you to understand one very important thing. An NFT is to tell you who owns, in this case, in what's been all the hype, a digital asset, and especially a piece of art. Mm -hmm. What I don't get is this is a tweet. A tweet is literally someone yelling out into the world something that most of us <laughs> do not care about. Yeah. <laughs> and you want me to pay, I'm not, I'm not kidding here, there's an offer of $2.5 million yep. worth of Ethereum. Is this Ethereum? Yeah, this is Ethereum. So Ethereum is very important in this process. But I think the 2.5 is converted to USD. Yeah, sorry, $2.5 million. 2.5 million Ethereum would be like $2.5 billion yeah. or like $5 billion. <laughs> yeah, don't right get now. me wrong. No, this isn't Ethereum, the currency, yeah. but yeah, it's... Oh, sorry, it's 1,630 Ether. <laughs> And also what's funny is you can see the handle of the person who is bidding because it is a blockchain. Oh, yes. And because you can see the handle, I can actually tell you who that is. So that highest offer right now is from Sina Estavi. I hope I didn't just butcher that name. Who's the CEO of Bridge Oracle. Wow. Okay. You know what? <laughs> the fact that this is also speaking to something obnoxious about the art market, which is like, it's just rich people flexing on each other. It really is. Yeah. This is why I'm getting frustrated with why NFTs are back in the news. It's like, this is, NFTs are super cool. Why do we keep letting the <laughs> stupidest possible way 
for something cool to happen be the way we decide to dictate it? Like, why is watching billionaires throw money around at something the entire point of this and not the fact that, like, we found a new way to give individual artists the rights to their own art? Like, that's the real power here. I, I know we both listened to a story recently. Are you going to talk about Beeple? I was going to bring up Beeple. Yeah. Like, the thing about this tweet is, like, this entire thing is connected. Like, I wish I could show you the, like, Charlie Day me <laughs> screaming at the wall of it's all I know. All there's so many threads. And I, I told you there's a reason why this is the perfect story because, like, there it just does that. There's so much going on in this one dumb story. Okay. Well, at the risk of burying the lead or forgetting about this, here's what I need to say. The entire point of owning something on the internet is, like, there's, like, this beauty of associated with, like, I have this thing that resonates with me. Yeah. I have no clue who in the entire universe looked at this tweet and was like, I would like to pay. Like, it has to be like donated to someone, right? Why is someone paying $2.5 million for something they don't actually control? Ooh, okay. Actually, let me continue this story because this question will be answered. So first, the bidding for this NFT doesn't end till March 21st which I'm pretty certain is because his first tweet was on March 21st, 2006. So it's like the anniversary of it. That's why the bidding ends. What, 25, that day. No, 15 years? It's 15 years. Yeah. I will give a kudos to him. 15 years ago, he started something bad. Yes. But Jack Dorsey has already announced, he announced on March 9th that he's going to convert the proceeds to Bitcoin and send that to Give Directly's Africa Response Fund, which Give Directly is a nonprofit that sends money directly to people in poverty, and its Africa Response Fund gives to families economically impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic in Kenya, Rwanda, Liberia, and Malawi. Did I say that right? Yeah, Malawi. Okay, Malawi. Okay. I bring this up because you asked the question of like, why would someone spend $2.5 million on this owning a tweet, <laughs> like this first tweet. That's not even a great tweet, honestly, because it's the first tweet. And partially that's because Jack Dorsey already announced he's going to donate all of the proceeds to charity. Yeah. To be clear, there are less altruistic uses of NFT happening right now, where I believe when we talk about it, like the person who bought Beeple's just bought it like for themselves. Yeah. So let's just dive right in on what's going on. And what I want to focus on right now is really NFTs as digital art. And we're going to get later in the episode, we're going to come back to the idea of like using Bitcoin as donations because I just find that fascinating. But first, NFTs, you've already explained what they are. And in the digital art world, this has become exciting because now you can sell digital art and have something saying that you actually own that digital art, which is really hard to do before because of the internet. And how do you own anything on the internet? Man, this kind of goes back to the DMCA and like the fact that like a digital thing can just be replicated at infinitum. Yeah. So being able to prove that you are the originator or owner or creator of something is really meaningful. But then you also enter this weird case of like, you can just copy things really easily. And so this tweet is like kind of stupid because it's just like a small string of tech. Like I don't actually understand what ownership is being transferred other than I guess Jack's unless Jack Dorsey's built something into it that says that like I can own this tweet. I can own the like bits that become the tweet and then decide what happens to them. There's no real ownership here. And I, I know you don't want to talk well, about that. No, no. And I think that's an important caveat to what NFTs for digital art 
comes down to and like what are you actually owning and what aren't you owning? Because for art, you're not buying the copyright or the trademark of something. That's not what's saying. What it's saying is that you're kind of getting the property rights to it. And you can even think of how you buy and sell physical art. So for example, someone can buy an original painting by Monet and they can own that original, but that doesn't mean that people couldn't make digital copies of that. That doesn't mean that now suddenly that picture of Monet is no longer on the internet or no longer available by Google searches or even no longer available to be put on like products or be shown in a museum. And it's not like saying, oh, because I own this physical piece of art, now that's in a museum, you can't take a picture of it and share that picture around. It just means you own the original and you get to own and look at the original. And that's kind of what NFTs are doing for digital art. It's like property rights. That's all I can think of it as. But that's something that I keep getting annoyed by is like art is, again, it's like it's cool. Here's the thing. I'm actually less conflicted about art than I am about Bitcoin because – Artists have a problem, especially in the digital age, where like they want to create really cool art and then some jackass on Instagram just copies it, removes the watermark and then posts it out to their Instagram. Yeah. And that's how you get all these stupid aggregator Instagrams that are just like Mm, stuff other people have made that like a lot of times they do not credit them. And so being able to say like unequivocally, I made the original of this art. This is my art. I can prove it programmatically is really powerful for creators. But then you get into the space of like, what is ownership if I bought the art from them? Because if I buy a painting, I could choose to put it in a wood chipper. I could like lick it. I could do all <laughs> sorts of weird stuff to it because it's a physical object. But a digital object, because it can be copied at infinitum and whatnot, you you definitely own it. Depending on the agreement you're striking with the artist, you can get certain digital rights that come with it. Maybe you do get the copyright. It comes with the art. But at the end of the day, what I would get out of a piece of art is the ability to like see it and take it in. I get what you mean. Some of the appeal of owning a physical piece of art is that like let's say I could put it up in my living room and I could walk into my living room every day and look upon the mantle and see this lovely physical piece of art. And lick it and taste the lead. Yeah, I know. And do really weird things. I'm a little concerned, Cameron, of these things you want to do to art pieces. Digital art, you don't have that aspect. But what you do have is the feeling of ownership and really the bragging rights. And mm-hmm. I think this is where it comes around to rich people again mm-hmm. and how the art world is really just about a bunch of rich people spending a ton of money for various reasons and for investment reasons on stuff. That's the thing. Is like I want to be clear. I'm in no way trying to discount this. I think this is actually like if we put aside the idea of like multi-million dollar auction. I hate to give Jack Dorsey credit like this. This is kind of like Twitter for art. Like if Twitter enables you hmm. to more easily interact with your fans, being able to like quickly talk to them and ideally didn't turn into a fountain of hate speech. Yeah. Then it would be able to be something special where I can like talk to a professional athlete and an artist and whatever and like tweet at them and have them be able to respond to me in a way that was not really possible before. And similar to that is if I'm a patron, if I'm a huge fan of your art, Instead of me having to go through like third sellers to like go get this art or get this commission or whatever, I can literally go straight to the artist and say, hey, I love your art. I want to support you. Like, I don't know if you're bringing it up with people. I really want to talk about people. Yes. Okay. Let me let me bring up people because I have here a list of examples of NFTs being sold. But we'll just say people, digital artists, 
sold a digital art piece for $69 million at Christie's Auction House, and it was a compilation of the 5,000 Days from his Everyday series. Yeah, so Beeple, for anyone who doesn't know, is famous because he's basically just done a ton of Blender art. If you're familiar with the Blender software, it's used for 3D modeling, and like every single day, Literally every single day, he would just try to create one piece of art. It could be any. It's some weird stuff. Yeah, he set a goal for himself of no matter what I'm feeling, no matter if I don't have any ideas, etc. I'm going to create a piece of artwork every day and post it. On Instagram. On on Instagram? Okay, I couldn't remember (laughs) where it was actually being available. Export as a square JPEG, throw it on Instagram. Yes, and... So this artwork was a compilation of the first 5,000 days from that series, which is, it's pretty cool. And going back to how you can just copy and paste things, like you can go find this piece of artwork in the articles in the show notes. You can go and see this artwork. It looks cool. And it's cool because you can like, it just looks like 5,000 little square blocks, but then you can actually zoom in and see what the individual artwork pieces are. Yeah. And I think this is what I need to talk about when it comes to NFTs is like, the things that can be represented by them are incredible. Like if we go back to our art example, mm-hmm. if I own a piece of art, putting all my weird stuff aside, I can choose <laughs> to hide that piece of art from the world. But when something's on the internet, you can't just choose to get rid of it. And so in that way, it's troublesome because you don't have control over where it goes. Like a lot of platforms don't actually do much to enforce, like to prevent reposting. Yeah. So in that way, it is not that special. But the thing is like, if you've ever seen an NFT, you've probably seen something that that person might not have actually shared. Like they, like if you've seen images of Beeple's like zoomed out piece of work, he probably didn't share that. The person who bought it probably didn't share that. Like NPR or Vox or someone probably was the one showing you this to say like, this is worth $69 million. But the real thing you bought was this like insanely high resolution thing. Like each square is the original resolution. So you can zoom in on this way more than you can do on like an 8K image. Yeah. Like you can get, if you zoomed all the way and you basically be able to have like one frame that filled up your whole computer, that was just one day and then zoom out a ton and see all 5,000 days. And at every single stage, you would still have this impeccable resolution. That's a really good point. I didn't even think about earlier is that digital art, yes, someone can copy and paste it, but what you are buying through NFTs and digital art is the original, and that is the high resolution, perfectly intact original. Because every time you copy and paste something, just the quality of it degrades. And the thing is, to go to Beeple's idea from the other side, like, I don't, he definitely didn't expect it to be $69 million. He's talked about it, not like, I, like, I thought this was just gonna be a fun thing. It turns out it's just stupid amounts of money. But then, from the other side, he's done like he when he was stepping his toe in the water, he did little experiments where he just put a few up for a dollar. Like he made the same asset. He made the same images. But because an NFT represents ownership of just one of those images, mm-hmm. he was able to sell them at an extremely low price to his fans and say like, hey, if you like me and want to support my work, come and claim one of these. Say that you have owned a part of my hard work. And so like that, that is going back to your point about ownership is like when you see like someone throwing $69 million at a single piece of art, that's a flex. When you show people like me and you who are able to afford these tiny pieces of art to support artists that we love, that is really where I think the power of NFTs comes from for this art. Yeah, exactly. And I want to add that 
NPR's Planet Money did a really good episode recently talking about the art world and people in particular related to NFTs. So check out that podcast episode if you want to dig more into how just art world selling goes, because it's kind of crazy. I also want to give some other examples of NFTs that have been sold recently because we keep saying digital art. It isn't restricted to like a JPEG, like an mm-hmm. image. Mm-hmm. It can be a lot of things like gifts, songs, video game items, etc. So here's some other examples. Grimes sold a 50-second video for $390,000. The Neon Cat GIF sold for $600,000 an online auction. There was an NFT of LeBron James dunking that sold for over $200,000. And this isn't really an example, but DC Comics issued a letter recently warning artists and writers to not sell digital images featuring DC intellectual property with or without NFTs. And funny enough, someone promptly digitized that letter and then made an NFT of it and is selling it on two different marketplaces. I... Love it. But, I mean, that's the funny thing is like, it's, it's Mimi. It's like, it's like this weird, like just, just hodge- Mimi. Yeah. <laughs> this is weird hodgepodge of internet stew that you just get sucked up into. But here's the thing is like digital assets are like what you described. There are just files. Yeah. And they're basic files. They're like a GIF is a GIF. I can copy and paste and share a GIF. I think it is beautiful for like a photographer to be able to like sell you like this snapshot he took that cap- perfectly captures this moment of LeBron James doing whatever was happening in that GIF or image that like in those ways, it is like owning a piece of history. Like people, photographers sell their photos that encapsulate specific moments of history. And this is a digital version of that where we're able to cut out a lot of the fees that go along with what they would be able to make to support themselves. Yeah. And the LeBron James thing, as far as I know, the NBA kind of has their own site and marketplace around it. So now it's becoming, you can think of it like digital sports cards. It's now that market. It's but a whole new thing. That, that's stupid to me because <laughs> okay. sure, I'm sure everyone at this point has figured out I think a lot of the stuff's stupid because that's like antithetical to the whole point. The whole point is if you have an open marketplace that's on a blockchain, blockchains are decentralized. Blockchains are for the people. Vox Populi sees the day. I don't okay, even know what I'm saying right. anymore. But the point is, I should be able to like go to anyone like bitcoins are special because they're not U.S. dollars. They're bitcoins. No one is able to stop me from trading them with someone else. Mm -hmm. And even though they're not actually as anonymous as people keep saying, they're still pretty open. They're still pretty out there. And the point of NFTs is like even though you're in this marketplace, you can use smart contracts like Ethereum smart contracts to just buy and sell NFTs. You don't actually need to necessarily go through a broker if you already have a seller that you're happy with the price they're offering. So in this way – Going back to the NBA, like, undemocratizes it. Like, I don't have any real assurance that it's, like, an actual ledger and I'm not just, like, buying, like, this stupid digital file unless they show me the ledger underneath. Yes. And they may show the ledger. I don't know. I haven't looked that much into that specific example. But this is a great time to plug your video that's going to be coming out soon. This all about NFTs. Because – We're going to transition to another discussion topic, but if you want to learn more about like the pros and cons of NFTs and the technology behind it and how this really works in nitty gritty details, please check out Cameron's video. The link will be in the show notes, but wildcard Cameron on YouTube, like it's going to be great. If you go to my channel and even if it's not there, it'll be there in like a day. So now I want to transition to the environmental impact of NFTs because one criticism people keep making 
about NFTs is that there's a huge electricity consumption to make them. Let me break it down for you. Let me flips chair around, sits all cool like a 1980s like anti-drug PSA. Uh, yeah, flip your hat around. Let me flip my hat around. <laughs> So this is really like most punctuated by Bitcoin. Bitcoin has like all ledgers have what basically a consensus algorithm. It's the way that every peer, the hundreds of thousands of millions of people on the network Mm -hmm. who are mining the network and helping facilitate the network are able to agree on what the ledger looks like. The ledger that tells you who owns what. Yeah. Bitcoin was created in the aughts. And has a lot of components that were designed to throttle it based on how the internet worked in the aughts. And the internet's gotten faster and computers have gotten better. But the proof of work algorithms and the tools used to make the Bitcoin network work are still very antiquated compared to the things we do now with other ledgers. Okay. Now, as a result of this and the result of popularity of Bitcoin as like the benchmark of cryptocurrency, Mm -hmm. these inefficiencies are compounded in how Bitcoins are mined. In order to mine a Bitcoin, you literally have thousands and millions of people with very expensive graphics cards who are constantly just using those graphics cards not to play games, (laughs) not to render art, not to do anything. They're just mining. They're literally just every single moment of every single day grinding through computations, trying to solve the problems with the air quotes that make up each block. When you solve the block, when Mm -hmm. you found a way to come up with a solution that is, again, I explain it in my Bitcoin video a little bit. And also I can obviously provide some links to like more about how this works. But what the problem is, is in that network, in a lot of networks, if you have an inefficient proof of work algorithm, you are going to just just like waste a ton of energy trying to prove every single block. And some networks will mine thousands, if not millions of blocks a day. Yeah, like it's a computationally intensive process. And so it's going to require a lot of electricity to and a lot of computing power to complete it, right? Yeah. And so there's two problems here. One is in terms of material resources and the other one's in terms of energy. Right now, the world uses fossil fuels to produce energy. Meaning that if we use a lot of power to do something stupid, like waste energy on not solved Bitcoin solutions, because only one person can solve the block, or technically a few, I'm not going to get into semantics right now, but if you have millions of people mining every block and only one or two people are mining it, that means millions of people are wasting power, not able to mine a block. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Like, because it's a bunch of people basically competing to mine a block. Yeah. Now. So there are ways to break down the computation. So instead of me brute forcing every single solution, I can actually join a mining pool where all of us contribute compute resources. So we're each technically handling a smaller problem of it. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we each get a share of what was mined. But that still means millions of other people who might be in other compute pools or whatever who are not getting that coin are wasting their energy. Yeah. So that's the one side is like there are ledgers that are inefficient and they are using a lot of power. The second is there's just metal. There's just raw resources that come out of the earth and go into your computer or into ASIC miners or into graphics cards Mm, that have a lot of toxic byproducts. I mean, that's just a product of computers. But when you have people buying 3090 graphics cards for for mining or just for whatever, it's it's all that metal, all the demand for GPUs is like continuously going up 
for people who might not actually be making money or even breaking even. Yeah. And you've been talking about Bitcoin now. I'm wondering what do you think about Ethereum mining? Because most of these NFTs seem to be using Ethereum as their currency, I want to say, but it's not really a currency. It's, it's, their, it's their platform. It's the ledger. Platform. Yes, their ledger. Yes, their platform. And I actually have some facts about energy uses for Ethereum. Do you want me to tell you them? I would love to hear this. Yes. So Ethereum mining in 2018 was using as much electricity as Iceland. And typical Ethereum transactions uses more power than an average U.S. household uses in a day. And in the articles I was reading about this, they did say that the energy consumption was much less than Bitcoin, but still a lot when you think about it. Yeah. So first of all, shout outs to my favorite cryptocurrency, Ethereum, because Ethereum is cool. It is. It has smart contracts. It has a lot more stuff built into it. The thing about Ethereum is think of it less like a cryptocurrency and more like AWS. It has the ability. Oh, like Amazon Web Services? Amazon Web Services. Think about the cloud infrastructure that makes Netflix happen is very similar to how Ethereum, how you should think about Ethereum and big blockchain networks that do what they do. See, Ethereum smart contracts allow you to host and share and do a lot of stuff. They can be used to manage and share files. They can be used to perform transactions, create applications. It does so much more than just representing how many Bitcoins you have or how much, well, in their case, how much Ether you have. I was going to say, it's not Bitcoin. (laughs) It's Ether. Yeah. And so that's the thing is like Bitcoin was a really cool proof of concept of digital cryptocurrencies on a distributed ledger technology. Mm-hmm. But it is trivial compared to the things that Ethereum can do with their smart contracts. And so when you think about it, you shouldn't be thinking about it like, oh, people are just moving Ether around. People are trading these tokens. Like, it is, it is a marketplace infrastructure. Imagine if all transactions could be digitized. They could all be run on Ethereum at not too much more power. Yes, and that's a good point. I do want to say that the creator of Ethereum – said recently that they're currently working on a new algorithm that would drastically reduce the amount of energy consumption, how the current algorithm works. But when I hear this argument about energy consumption, I keep thinking it's the wrong argument. Like people thinking NFTs are bad for the environment because of the huge amount of energy consumption. But my logic goes, okay, well, if all of our energy came from renewable energy, then would it matter? Yeah, there's actually three things going on here. One, like I said, Bitcoin came in 2008 and no one knows who Satoshi Nakamoto is, which means that the (laughs) Bitcoin network has not changed for what, like 13 years? Wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. I have to interrupt this because this is very important. Are you telling me that because no one knows who the creator of Bitcoin was that they can't make any changes or improvements to Bitcoin? No, it means that Whoever created Bitcoin, whoever put the code out there and like is responsible for the current Bitcoin code, we don't know who that person is. And every so often when if there is a change to the Bitcoin code, it would be the only time you see it. Whereas Ethereum is a like very visible group of people working on Ethereum who are actively trying to make it better. Like they're taking help. They're trying to do whatever they can to open source, whatever they can. They're literally working to make this incredibly new platform. They're also constantly working to make it better. Yeah. Which means that over time, it will only get better. It will only get more efficient while still being able to handle all these transactions. And the thing you have to remember is when it comes to like crypto trading, every single time you send money, that is a transaction. But art isn't changing hands that often. Art is people are going to bid on a piece of art. And then whoever has the highest bid gets it. 
and it just stays with that person until they want to sell it. Yeah, I didn't think of that. So even though the initial creation of an NFT can consume a lot of energy, it's just really in that process. And then if it would be sold again, and which would be, I don't know, years later. Well, it's every single time there's a transaction. So creating the NFT is a transaction. Yeah. Moving the NFT to a new person is a transaction. But those aren't happening nearly as frequently as just regular like trades of ether. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, it's like getting mad at a cows for causing greenhouse gas emissions. It's like, yeah, you can get mad at them, but they're not really the only or biggest culprit here. And also, I feel like it's like getting mad at cows for greenhouse gas emissions, but like pointing at the cow and being like, how dare you, cow, instead of being like, okay, how about we rethink our meat industry and our diet? <laughs> yeah. And the funniest thing is like Bitcoin, especially. The places that I've seen the most Bitcoin activity are places where energy is cheap because they use renewables. A lot of people who mine cryptocurrencies are typically going places, as I understand it, typically like Far East Asian places with lots of hydroelectric energy because mm. that's where energy is cheapest and you need a ton of it. I've, yeah. I've seen someone build – this was the funniest thing. They built an ASIC miner. They, ASIC miners are basically just like – think of instead of having a graphics card that lets you play video games, it's a graphics card that's sole purpose is to mine a cryptocurrency. <laughs> All right. It, it's like focused on this one math problem. <laughs> and they built a bunch of them that they had like set up in parallel on like Raspberry Pis or something in the trunk of their Tesla – and wired into the power supply of their Tesla so that when they went to a supercharged station, the supercharged station would power their mining rig. Wow. And they got free power from Tesla because they had whatever that Tesla program was. So basically for free, they were able to mine cryptocurrency. <laughs> That's just insane. So I feel like the wrap up on environmental impacts of NFTs, if you were to give a wrap up, is just – Yes, there's an impact, but there are other things we could do in our society to mitigate that impact, like using more renewable energy. As Jared Leto would say, we live in a society. We live in a society, yes. All right, and I just want to end this episode getting back to Bitcoin, and which we've been bringing up a lot, surprisingly, and really the idea of Jack Dorsey using it for donations. So – I do want to point out Dorsey has been an active supporter of Bitcoin. Like he has hashtag Bitcoin in his Twitter bio and his company Square bought 4,700 Bitcoin in October and another 3,300 in February. And like he's going to be partnering with Jay-Z soon to try and start a fund that would fund like Bitcoin's development in Africa and India. So like Dorsey's really really into the idea of Bitcoin. And I know there's other tech billionaires like Elon Musk who are really into the idea of Bitcoin. I just want to hear your thoughts real quickly, Cameron, on like, what do you think of this? Like, is this a good thing for cryptocurrency? Goddamn Elon Musk. <laughs> okay, so there's actually two things I want to unpack here. First is going back to NFTs, actually, this idea of like a crypto bubble. Because they have invested in it, the price of these cryptocurrencies has skyrocketed, like even more than it did last during the last peak in, I think it was 2017. Yeah. And it's hard to separate how much of that is hype because like cryptocurrencies, they, I have no correlation. I have no research behind this. I just happen to notice when the world economy is going wacky, cryptocurrencies are doing really well because they are not tied to any one nation. They, in my opinion, it's the ability to have this democratized place where anyone can have and trade and own and sell things without having too many people coming in and having to worry about all these extra fees and all this extra stuff. Like it's what a libertarian might think is like the perfect society. Like libertarians love Bitcoin for this reason. I could see that. But 
that doesn't mean there's not hype. That doesn't mean there's not a bubble here. And a lot of people think there is a definite NFT bubble where so many people right now are seeing, oh, you can sell a piece of art for $69 million. I can do that. And so they're just throwing garbage art, any art they can come up with out as an NFT, which is in, in part adding to the power supply problem. Yeah, I want to say there's a reason why we're doing a podcast episode about it and why you're releasing a YouTube video about it recently, because NFTs have just been in the news like crazy recently. I like how every time I release like a video about movies, it's because I'm genuinely excited about them. But every time I release a video about technology is because I'm absolutely frustrated by the news media. <laughs> yes. Because like it's like I want people to be excited about cryptocurrency. I want people to be excited about NFTs. They have a lot of meaningful potential. I just don't think Bitcoin is the cryptocurrency you should get excited about because the ledger is it's dumb. Like Ethereum is an all around better technology platform ledger in every tangible way. I consider Ethereum to be superior to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at NFTs, a lot of people are getting hyped about oh, we're going to create our own NFT. We're going to create our own ledger for NFTs. We're going to create our own website for NFTs. And so you're having a lot of people coming in trying to get on the hype. And it kind of sucks because there's people right now who could benefit from it. People who are artists, new artists, long-lasting artists who want a place that they can put out their art and not have it drown out in the sea of other people just turning out stuff. Yeah. And so over time, I imagine we're going to see a lot of that art go away. But unfortunately, I also think that from a Bitcoin standpoint, we're going to see Bitcoin's price fall. I'm not an economist. I'm not telling anyone to invest in Bitcoin. I'm not telling anyone to go make NFTs. I'm just saying from everything I've seen, from the cycles that they've gone through, it feels like we're in a bubble. It does feel that way. That's kind of why I wanted you to talk about it because it that was my perception I keep having is that we are in a Bitcoin bubble and now we're in an NFT bubble. And I guess my fear is that this is all going to be a lot of hype and then the bubble's going to burst and then cryptocurrency is going to go ignored. But hopefully that won't be the case because it is really cool technology. And I will totally invest when it does. <laughs> but that's the thing. I wanted to talk about this point about donations, though, because if I am a place in the middle of nowhere and I have no financial institutions near me, but mm -hmm. I have Internet access, being able to receive and trade cryptocurrencies may be the next best thing for me. If I'm dealing with people who absolutely like I don't trust my government's money, I don't trust the local banks, being able to work in cryptocurrencies and then have to convert them only when you have to could be very valuable. Now, unfortunately, because Bitcoin is worth so much right now, the amount of Bitcoin that Ether is going to get turned into it won't be as many coins as it might have been on another time without all this hype. That's yeah. part of why I'm a little frustrated is like, OK, well, you made – you guys have put so much hype in that now one Bitcoin is worth $50,000. It's definitely worth more than that by the time we've released this. But that doesn't change the fact that like those people need money. Like this is a charity for people in need. We should be giving them money as fast and as easily as possible. And while the cryptocurrency allows us to quickly get them the money, the mechanisms by turning that money back into something they can actually use to pay local people, get supplies and stuff, that's where my question comes in. Like if you have a Coinbase account and they just get all the crypto into the Coinbase account and are able to convert it into U.S. dollars and do something with that or turn it into a local fiat currency and do something with that, that's pretty helpful. But at the same time, it's crypto. It's so volatile. You don't know if like, is there going to be a crash between now and then? And suddenly the like, let me do some quick math. <laughs> 50 bitcoins they sent them are worth like $300. It does seem like a weird extra step. Like doing money transfer via cryptocurrency 
seems like can work really well, but having the money in something, then converting it to another cryptocurrency just to send it to someone else who's going to convert it to something else, it's just a lot of steps. Yeah, and there's like what's weird is like there are cryptocurrencies like I think it's called USD coin. It's like really cryptocurrency that's like just the coin has to be the value of a dollar. Huh. And it's like always like the thing is a coin's value is also a function of scarcity. Yeah. Bitcoin's mining algorithm will always release less and less bitcoins, making them more and more scarce. But you can make a ledger that has exactly as many coins as there are dollars in the world. And as a result, hmm. its value can be tied one to one to a dollar. Like you could literally have them be a bunch of NFTs where each individual dollar is tied to a specific bill minted by serial number. It won't solve the double spend problem, which is like kind of the whole point of ledgers. And I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> we, we talked about that. In a, yeah, we talked about that in a previous episode. But what I want to say, just to like put a bow on this, because I know we're real over time. Yes, please. Let's wrap this up. What is the end point to this NFT Bitcoin discussion you want people to go away with? I will never knock anyone for trying to help people who are less fortunate and could use that money. What I will say is I think that it would be better to just give them cash. <laughs> Sending them bitcoins might not be – I don't know if it's a function of just like how they need to get the money, but I don't know too much about the tail end of this, but the volatility of cryptocurrency gives me pause. Hmm. And on that note, let's wrap up. <laughs> so obviously I'm guessing if I needed to uh, go get some notes, get some facts, get some – do some checking, where would I go for uh, those sources? You would check those sources right in the show notes. Ooh, okay. If I want to know more about the guy who – Works really hard. I think his name is um, Scott, who's just doing all the heavy lifting on this podcast, trying to make us sound good. Where would I look for that? Yes, you can find Scott's, our editor's wonderful information right in the show notes as well. Great information. <laughs> wonderful websites. Good URLs. The finest you've seen. Yes. And also in those show notes are going to be the link to Cameron's YouTube channel. You can search up Wildcard Cameron or you can follow the link I will put in there. Yes, I'll, I will make sure to have that video out for you all so you can comment on it on what a good and or bad job I did. And <laughs> obviously, if you want to ask us questions about crypto, hit us up on social media at Sample Size Show and you can find me at Wildcard Cameron on various social medias. Thanks as always for like listening and sharing and supporting this podcast. It's a fun experiment and we'll talk to you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.